Welcome, Compass Bible Church, to another Compass Equip podcast. Hey, guys. This is Pastor Evan, and I'm joined with Pastor Hayden. Hey, hey. And here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We reach people for Christ. We teach people to be like Christ, and we train people to serve Christ. And everything that we do, including this podcast, is to fulfill that mission to make disciples by reaching and teaching and training. You know, Pastor Hayden, you preached on Sunday a brand new sermon series. Uh, you know, Compass with the new sermon series is a work in progress, and you preached on the sermon title "Demolishing the Old Construction." And we pre- you preached on Colossians three verses five through eleven. And as a recap, let me read that to you right now, Compass. Colossians three, beginning in verse five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is is all and in all. All right, Pastor Hayden, what is the sermon focus of your sermon that you preached on Sunday that you want us here at Compass to remember? Yeah, I guess as we've talked about in uh, on Sunday is a work in progress. We, we're trying to do a uh, just a comparison with two things: the the work that's being done in our lives through the Holy Spirit, uh, and the idea that we're about to get into this building, this twenty four seven building that we get to headquarter the ministry of Compass Bible Church for the foreseeable future. That's right. It's exciting. Uh, and I, we wanted to do this last sermon series, prayerfully last sermon series in the CYT as we look forward to getting into this building. And it's a work in progress. That building's a work in progress, and so are we. And although that work of justification, of of making, of, of putting us in Christ, of saving us, that work has been completed, there is also an ongoing work, something that we call sanctification. And it's a work uh, with the Spirit that we'll talk about later on at the end of this in the special topic uh, that, that the Holy Spirit uh, and us partner together to uh, make our lives holy and make as we walk in uh, righteousness for the sake of the gospel. Uh, but as we look at the sermon focus this week, as we zoom into this past Sunday, uh, as I said before, we need to diligently labor to demolish what is left of our sinful lives, and we need to enthusiastically build up godly lives through the power of Christ. And as the points we talked about were, we need to aggressively tear down idols, you know, things in our lives. They not may not be golden cows like they were in the Old Testament, uh, but there are many things in our lives that we uh, that we idolize, that we see are that are more important than God. And maybe you would say, whatever it is, in your life isn't ultimately important, uh, more important than God, but in a moment or in, a, in an instance, you may love that thing more than you love God. You may say, you know, as my whole life goes, I love God more than anything, but when it comes to your day-to-day decisions, how many things are you choosing over God when you wake up in the morning as you live your life? So we got to make sure that we're aggressively tearing down idols. We need to make sure we're building more godly relationships. You want to walk in holiness. You want to walk in righteousness. You need to be surrounded by people who are walking in godliness and righteousness. So we got to make sure we're doing that. 
And thirdly, we need to fully embrace our new identity in Christ. Uh, and really, that means this, uh, and we'll talk about it uh, we, as we talked about it, and I want you to continue talking about this uh, as we progress as a church. we got to fully embrace this new identity. There is no half and half. I can't be half good, half bad. Um, and, and some things maybe uh, that we've talked about on Sunday that we didn't talk about as much, I want to talk about dualism, this idea that you need to fully embrace your new identity. So many people and Christians pretend uh, like there can be this sin nature in them with the righteous nature of Christ, that they can both be uh, together, working together. And we're going to see that Scripture says no to that. There is no dualism. And dualism is a is an Eastern uh, idea of, of religion, that there is yin and yang and and good and bad, and it all exists and works in you together uh, to bring about uh, fullness balance. and balance. And and we got to understand that is not a biblical worldview. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18 says this, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So I have this idea that there could be a righteous yoke and an unrighteous yoke together doing a life and creating balance is already unbiblical just by using verse 14. But it continues by saying, For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Absolutely none. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Even the, the, the symbol of yin and yang is light and darkness. And they're saying there is no fellowship in the Christian life with light and darkness. Verse 15. What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has a temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And this idea here is there is no dualism here. So we need to fully embrace our new identity in Christ. And part of that is that we're getting rid of idols. We're tearing down sin. We're demolishing it. We're killing it because we want to live in our new identity wholly uh, as we're living our lives. And it's not just, you know, demo day, you know, for sin today. There's your dad joke right there. Demo day. But it's not just demo day in our sin, but you want us to be able to do something else. It's not just removing sin. It's putting something else on. Right, Pastor Hayden? Sure. Yeah. Being a Christian is not just taking sin off. It's putting on righteousness. Uh, so many times the problem in our lives are we try to get rid of all the sin in our life. Uh, but then it's empty and we're not doing anything uh, good. We're not, we're not putting on righteousness. We're not doing the good works that God has prepared uh, for us to walk in beforehand. Uh, all these things we, we've got to do. We not just put off sin, but we put on the righteousness of Christ. We live that out uh, daily. Something else that we may not have touched on as much as I wanted to is this idea of God's wrath. And it says, you know, uh, in as we look at verse uh, 6 in Colossians 3, on account of these sins, the wrath of God is coming. And we talk about the wrath of God as uh, this, like a lot of people in our world may explain this. Like, he's just an angry God or he just hates people or hates the world. Uh, and we need to understand as Christians that that is not at all what the wrath of God is. Uh, to prove that, I want to take you back to 9-11, if you can remember 9-11. Uh, and, and when that happened and the World Trade Center, the Twin Towers, all these places were being attacked. Uh, and the whole country, the whole United States, was adamant and all in about justice being served to those who, uh, who had committed this uh, outrageous crime. Uh, and because of that, the wrath of the United States of America's military force uh, poured out on the Taliban and those who were conspirators in this uh, heinous act. Now, 
when you heard that, when you think back to 9-11, you understand what justice is. Justice is uh, the exacting uh, action that has to, that comes with the reaction of, of sin and the reaction of bad things happening uh, and making them right. So when we see God's justice being poured out, that's what it means by God's wrath. God's wrath is God's justice. That is, that there was a heinous act, and all of us are participants in the heinous act of sin and unrighteousness and lawlessness uh, in this world, and one day that's going to be poured out. And it was poured out on Christ for all those who would turn from their sins and trust in Christ. So when we see this, as Christians, we look forward to God's justice uh, being poured out because it's going to make all the bad things good and all the wrong things right. Uh, what do you say, Pastor Evan? It's something that's going to be tied in with one of your memory verses from a couple weeks ago, Matthew 16, is if we're going to follow Christ, we deny ourselves. But if you read the next couple of verses, it says, For the Son of Man will return with his angels in the glory of his Father to repay each person according to what we have done. So it's going to be not a blanketed justice. It's going to be a perfect, specific, specific, exacting, perfect justice on mm, each one of us. Good. Thankfully, for us Christians, that has been perfectly paid for on Christ. Justice will be served, which is such a good thing. All the bad things in the world, justice will be served. All right, Pastor Hayden, that kind of wraps up what we may miss on Sunday, but what are some of the things that we need to be prepared for in our life groups in regarding to our application questions? Just two things. One, guys, come ready with your application questions answered. Uh, that's going to make these uh, this time in God's Word. It's going to make time uh, dialoguing about these application questions so much more robust and fulfilling when you come with them ready uh, to go, when you've answered them in your quiet time or throughout your Bible study uh, the problem is when we don't, the first time you ever hear these questions is when they're read off that page. And shooting from the hip often doesn't help great Bible application. So come with your application questions answered. And then have examples from your own life and things that you can do this week to apply those questions. Uh, make sure you do that. And if you do that, I promise you the time you're going to spend in your life groups will be that much more of a blessing in your life. Uh, Pastor Evan, this is time for our DBR Spotlight. All right. So give us a spotlight and an overview of what we can expect from Leviticus 18 through Numbers 4. All right. Congratulations, Compass. You are finishing the book of Leviticus. I hope this has been a help for you, and you're beginning the book of Numbers. So keep going as we dive in into the first five books of the Bible known as the Pentateuch. But as we wrap up Leviticus 18 through chapters 27, I just want to remind you, as you read this, remember that this is God explaining what it means to be holy. And in these chapters, this very broad outline is explained. This is how we, how Israel is to live with a holy God, a, a set-apart God, and they're supposed to be a nation that is set apart. And as we explained the last week, chapters 1 through 10, is this how they are to approach a, a holy God in a set-apart way. Now we're wrapping up how they are supposed to live in the presence of a perfect and set-apart God. And there's three broad ways as we as we read, you know, chapters 18 through 20. This is mainly focusing on, you know, how one lives that is holy, a holy life that is lived out in a dark and unholy world. How can Israel be set apart? And you read all these sexual sins, child sacrifice, and what it means to love your neighbor. But the, the thing that you need to understand is the reason why God wants them to do it is two reasons. One, it reflects who he is. And two, it's because the nations, as Israel's about to enter the promised land soon enough, that these are the things that the nations and the people in the promised land are doing already. 
And God says, do not walk in them, as you, you will read in Leviticus 20. Do not walk in the customs of the nation. So all those things you read of all these different sins, this is what's happening. God said, no, I want you to live a set-apart life so that the worlds may see how good and holy I am. Not only that, in chapters 21 to 22 in Leviticus, you're going to see how the holiness of the leaders is so uh, it's so needed for Israel. You know, the priests are their their mission is to twofold. One, to make holy God's name, meaning making sure God's reputation is is right before people's eyes, but also that they may lead the nation of Israel to become a holy nation. So they need set apart leaders to be to be a holy nation. And it kind of wraps up in the final chapters, in chapters 23 to 25, of a yearly calendar for Israel. Now, they just he just, they described these festivals already, but this is a great reminder for us to see the calendar for a nation to have a holy year, meaning a, a holy life throughout the year that points the nations back to God. Now, there's a great commentary, uh, the survey of the Old Testament and every uh, every man's Bible commentary that will be, it's very helpful in, uh, in this, but they explain the festivals in this way, where each festival is supposed to remind Israel and also these pagan nations to see who Yahweh, who God is. You know, the Sabbath rest is supposed to point back to God as Israel stops work they're supposed to say, no, we rely in God. When they're talking about the Passover, it's reminding Israel and pointing the pagans to the deliverance that Israel had in Egypt. You had these spring festivals. You had um, the the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the unleavened bread that they ate at the Passover as a reminder of their deliverance from slavery, but also the first fruits of festival, which is celebrating God's goodness, where the, the festival of Pentecost or weeks is celebrating the harvest and plenty that God has given given Israel. In the Foss festivals, the Feast of Trumpets, it's a solemn assembly, as described in this commentary, where this is a solemn assembly to point the nations in Israel to the consequences of their sin, which kind of uh, emphasizes the Day of Atonement, where the nation of Israel, their sins were cleansed through a sacrifice, pointing themselves and pointing the nations back to God to show sacrifice is needed for our sins to be cleansed. And this all comes to head with one of my favorite things to read in Leviticus, Leviticus 25, the year of Jubilee. Now, this is very unique because this only happens every 49 years, or it was supposed to happen every 49 years, where the whole land of Israel is not is supposed to rest. The, the, the ground itself, the land is supposed to rest. And not only that, it's a, rede- uh, it's a day of redemption. It's a year of redemption, meaning as people may have sell, sold lands to take care of their families, that everything goes back to way, the way that God has promised. Not because the Jews owned the land. No, God owned the land and gave it as a stewardship and to fulfill the promise he gave to each tribe. Each allotment will go back to its original state every 49 years. And even more, the slaves, every 49 years, all slaves have the option to be set free themselves. If they want to go back, they can, but they have to be released every a year of Jubilee to show that God is a God of redemption. He is not a God of, of slavery like he was in Egypt. No, he redeemed Israel out of Egypt, but it's all pointing to something else, not just physical slavery, but it's a spiritual redemption that is all pointing this to as we will you know, wrap up in just a moment. But Leviticus will wrap up with, with the consequences of holiness. 
the positive consequences of holiness found in chapters 26 and 27, where it, you, if you obey these commands, you will be blessed. Just like Adam and Eve, when they lived in the garden, it was blessed. They, they had an abundance of everything. And if you obey and live a holy life with the holy God, you will have an abundance. But if you disobey, my wrath will come. I will discipline you and exile you just like Adam and Eve when they disobeyed. He exiled them out of the garden and God promises, I will exile you out of the land that I promised if you disobey my holy commands. And then finally, it wraps up with all these vows. It's just to show how serious God is about making promises, not just between you and I, but his seriousness. Say, hey, you got to believe me when I say I will bless you or I will discipline you. And the point I want you, you, that we want you to take from Leviticus is that per, the perfect holiness that God requires is impossible without God. Israel was commanded, but as we will read through a, d, a daily Bible reading in the Old Testament, they will fail and essentially break every single one of these laws. And Israel, and as they entered, went into exile, needed to be redeemed because of the punishment of the, cur, the curse of the law of the punishment, exile, and death which all eventually will point to Christ. We will get there. That You will see the bridge be built all the way to Christ as you read the Old Testament with us. So Christ, who has redeemed us by becoming the curse for us. But let me quickly get you prepared to read Numbers 1 through chapters 1 through 4. As Leviticus focuses on holiness, Numbers focuses on faithfulness. Now, there's uh, the reason why we call it the book of Numbers is there's two lists found of names of people found in the book of Numbers. But if you look closer, it, well, actually the Hebrew name, excuse me, the Hebrew name means in the wilderness. So when you're reading Numbers, it's just talking about Israel's journey in the wilderness. But as we look at the list of people, here's a couple things that I need you to notice. One, this first list that you will read is about this old generation that came out of Egypt. But when you read right in the middle, at Kadesh Barnea, when they sent out the spies to the promised land and came back with their scary scary report of what the people looked like in that land, they rebelled against God. So God cursed that generation. And the second list found in Numbers later on is the new generation that is faithful and holy and set apart that would lead Israel into the promised land. But as when you're reading the beginning and as you read through Numbers, Remember God's faithfulness. I, we want Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 in the back of your minds. The promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12, that he will make Abraham a great nation and that he'll bless his name and make it great. In Genesis 15, he told him, look to the heaven and number the stars. And if, you, if you're able to number them, he said, so shall your offspring be. And look what, how full God fulfilled that promise. Look at all the thousands of people are Abraham's offspring, making Israel a great nation, and another promise found in Genesis 49, making Judah the leader of the tribes that eventually the, the, uh, the tribe of the kings, where if you're looking at the, the lists, Judah has the most fighting men. If you look at the research of the, of the way they marched, Judah's in the front, and where they settle, uh, where they surround the tabernacle, Jacob the, sorry, Judah, excuse me, Judah is guarding the entrance of the tabernacle. So they are the, the lead tribe as you will study. Now, Pastor Hayden, let's jump onto the uh, special topic this, this week, justification and sanctification. Yeah, we need to talk about justification and sanctification because not only is it such an important part in our Christian walk, it's also 
a very important part of the sermon series and also uh, an, an ongoing uh, uh, troublesome topic, especially in Texas. Uh, and the reason why is because uh, even this idea of justification and sanctification uh, and the ideas of, of lordship salvation, we would call it in free grace theology, which talks about justification and sanctification, the free grace theology aspect actually originated uh, in north of Dallas from Dallas Theological Seminary. And so there are some people uh, there, some professors there who come up with this idea of free grace theology, which has permeated through churches pretty fast uh, since the mid to late 1900s. And so just an important uh, concept that we need to be aware of of as we're preaching the gospel and we're telling people that to be a Christian means we turn from our sins and we trust in Christ and then because of that then we walk in sanctification and we do good works and we bear good fruit not to be saved but because we're saved and so with that uh, let's define a couple of terms. One, justification. Uh, according uh, to uh, the Lexington Bible Dictionary, justification is a Christian's judicial acceptance by God as not guilty because his sins are not accounted against him. That's what it means to be justified. If you look at the word just if like just if I didn't, that's how I am before God. I, I it's just as if I have never sinned. That's what justification means. Romans three twenty through twenty six is a great scripture reference there when it says that no human being is going to be justified uh, by works, uh, and it's only the righteous that come to God through faith in Christ who believe. Uh, and there's that. Uh, there's another term called sanctification, which is this. Sanctification is the ongoing supernatural work of God to rescue justified sinners from the disease of sin and to conform them to the image of his son. Uh, and that's really what it means. And it empowers us at the end of this uh, definition to do good works. So sanctification is the process of conforming us into God's image. And to do that, it also empowers us to do good works. Works And so we need to understand that positionally we are saved uh, and progressively we are walking uh, in holiness to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. First Corinthians 1-2 says, uh, to those that Christ has sanctified, that means positionally he has saved us. He has called us together with all those who in every place would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And so therefore we are saved. God has saved us. And then Second Corinthians 3-18 it says, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We understand that we are being sanctified, that it's part of what it means to be a Christian is to be continually chiseled on uh, until we are conformed completely into the image of Christ, which we know will not happen until glory. But we do know is the progress of what it means to be a Christian today. All right, Pastor Hayden, but they will respond saying, but, you know, Pastor Hayden, I believe in faith alone. How would you respond to that? Yeah, faith alone, right? We're talking about, uh, you know, Martin Luther. We're talking about a Reformation theology. What does that mean by faith alone? Yes, we are justified by faith alone. Uh, and as the, you, you would hear throughout history, we, even though we're justified by faith alone, that faith never remains alone. That's something you're going to see in Wayne Grudem's Free Grace Theology, Five Ways It Diminishes the Gospel, which is a great book for you. Uh, but the way we're going to say it is, yeah, Martin Luther ha had no problem uh, with the idea that we are sanctified. The idea of saying that I'm justified by faith, that there's nothing else that God accepts uh, for salvation, to make our relationship right with him. There's nothing else that God would accept other than faith alone. 
But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have righteous requirements for people after they're saved. God does. He expects you to live in holiness, just like your mom and dad expected you to obey the rules. Uh, It never changed the fact that you were biologically, forensically their child, but they had expectations for you to live a righteous life even in their home. God has the same desire for you and I. Uh, even James 2, 17, it says, So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And this idea is this. God empowers us in our faith through His Spirit to do good works, to live a righteous life. And you know, there's no more fundamental truth in Scripture than that right there. Uh, well, what what did some have? of the people from history's past know? They'll claim to say, well, yes, the faith alone. That's what the Reformed people say. But if you see... You know, Pastor, and there's some historical, you know, creeds and people who have talked about faith alone is not just alone. Yeah, uh, John Calvin is a good example. It, it, he has a quote. It says, "It is therefore faith alone which which justifies, and yet the faith which justifies is not alone, just as it is the heat alone of the sun which warms the earth, and yet in the sun it is not alone because it is constantly conjoined with light." Wherefore, we do not separate the whole grace of regeneration from faith, but claim the power and faculty of justifying entirely for faith as we ought. Uh, there's so many more. Uh, the, the 39th article of the Church of England says, Of good works, albeit that good works, which are the fruits of faith, and follow after justification, cannot put away our sins and endure the severity of God's just judgment, yet they are pleasing and acceptable to God in Christ, and do spring out, listen to this word, necessarily, of a true and lively faith, insomuch that by them a lively faith may be as evidently known as a tree discerned by the fruit. Yes, Pastor Evan, what do you have? Well, that's what people have said. I don't care what people say. What does the Bible have to say? Are there biblical, rep- biblical references that says repentance is necessary for salvation and that good fruit is a natural overflow of salvation? Yeah, uh, with repentance necessary in salvation, we quickly just... Uh, put 16 verses down, Luke 24, 47, 2 Peter 3, 9, we can keep going, uh, Acts 20, 21, Mark 1, 14 through 15, uh, we, we can keep going, there's 16 here, uh, and if we're talking to talk about good works, we have, we've also found 23 verses in the New Testament that describe the relationship between a Christian and their good works. I quoted one earlier, Ephesians 2, 2.10, that, that God had, uh, before the foundation of the world, prepared in beforehand good works that we should walk in as Christians. And so to be a Christian means that we overflow with good works. It's just part of what it means to be a Christian. So what are we supposed to do with all this information? Uh, we always need to ask anytime somebody comes with us to us with information or statements or claims, we need to say, what does the Bible say about this? We need to go to God's Word uh, and understand uh, the Bible has something to say about everything that has to do with life and godliness. So let's read the Bible. Uh, some resources for you guys. Uh, Free Grace Theology, Five Ways It Diminishes the Gospel by Wayne Grudem is a very good resource for you guys. The Gospel According to Jesus by John MacArthur, very great book when it comes to uh, the idea of easy believism. Uh, I think those would be two great resources for you guys as you're, uh, as you're learning more about justification and sanctification and what we deal with in culture today concerning those two topics. All right, Compass, there's a few announcements that we want to quickly let you know about. First and foremost is the Compass Students Discipleship Now that's happening this week, Friday, February 18th. So make sure that the students are registered, but also be praying for the students and the life group leaders as we want to see God change lives for eternity. Also, ladies, 
make sure you sign up for the, well, actually, you don't need to sign up, excuse me, but make sure you mark your calendars for February 26th at 10 a.m. for the Compass Women's Breakfast. It's going to be a great time of fellowship, breakfast, and Bible teaching from Kayla. And it's not, it's, you do not want to miss out on this to build community with other women in Compass Bible Church, but also a great time, a great opportunity for you to invite other people to meet the women of Compass. Uh, last two things, Exploring Compass, next session is going to be getting February 23rd. Yep, 23rd. It's going to be two weeks, uh, no longer three weeks. Uh, we're going to have two weeks, get this all done uh, in a shorter time frame for you guys. But Exploring Compass, register for that online at compasshillcountry.org. We're so excited you guys tuned in to the Compass Equip podcast. We look forward to seeing you guys soon. Mm-hmm.